Episode 108 of the Talking Bollocks podcast brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, Terry Flower. It's me, COB. And this week we're joined by... Eva Murr from the Sunday Times. Never already there. <laughs> Get Saren, I'm from the Sunday Times and all. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's going to know who I am anyway, so compared to some of my other people you She was that naughty girl that was on the live show. Exactly. People are hounding us after the live show to get you on for a full episode. Really? Yeah. Mm. I have to us. say, I got a lot of very, very, very nice messages Ooh. from people. Your audience are obviously very nice. The sound. I yeah, love my audience. Really, my really audience, stuff. our audience. Sorry. Yeah, we had, uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we had Eve on at the live show. And Eve, how many episodes of this podcast have you listened to? None. <laughs> no episodes. We had our invictus. I listened to some of Lynn Rianne's, but I didn't listen to either anymore. I don't know. You know, Lynn was on like episode 35 or something like that. Aye. And this is episode 108. So you've over 70 other episodes you could have listened to. Any of them. Like, <laughs> no, Aye, well, you were coming in today. Today's your day off, you said. You could have listened to one on the way in. No, it's been really badly prepared. Yeah, but look, listen, it is what it is. Eva, how's things? How are you keeping? Good. Aye, Grant. Um, I finally deleted Twitter. For good. It's about bleeding time. It's a bleeding. It's a cesspit, I think. So this is the first time I've publicly talked about it. Oh, good. But look, I, this I, is an exclusive. Exclusive. From the Eve yeah. yeah. Just what's the point anymore? It doesn't serve any purpose. I'll I love it. Allowing people to be. Yeah, but you love it, but it nobody, is toxic. Nobody's calm. threatening to kill you, though. You'd be surprised. I get some awful backhanded <laughs> threats in there. And I'd be like, yeah, but we're oh, used to that as well, yeah. isn't it? You um, know what I mean? You see, today, some girl put up like, uh, oh, I'm going, I'm leaving Dublin. The the chokehold North Face has on Dublin. And I was like, yeah, it rains a lot and it's cold. Obviously, we're going to wear North Face. And people are like, yeah, scrow. This is classist and all of yeah, like, All right, sound. You can't, can't wear a jacket. You can't say anything anymore. And there's just people, there are people who are on there who just want to act in bad faith. They're not there. They have an actual discussion. And it's getting to the point now where I just feel like for my own mental health, what's the point anymore? I completely agree with yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one or two things that I deliberately steer clear of because you know what comments are going to come. And mm. I think you fell victim to that as well. Something we'll going to later, I'd say. Did I? Yeah. Yeah, when you put up like, an opinion on something. Oh, know. I know. Oh, that's right, I yeah, so right, I, right. what happened to me is I went on The Tonight Show, Virgin Media, on Thursday. And what they usually do after it is they cut... Like a clip of what you're talking about. Like a promo. Yeah, for a promo. And I was talking about the Damien English saga about him resigning because of these two mm. houses or whatever. And um, loads of people from the far right and all this, even though I wasn't talking about the far right and I wasn't talking about the protest, because I didn't mention Damien English in this specific clip, that's what they took it was about. And it just, the abuse was just nonstop. And it wasn't even like, about the work or about being it's usually for me it's about being northern or about my work and it was just really personal awful sexualized stuff and i was like what's the point of me being here anymore mm-hmm. there's no benefit to it anymore so mm-hmm. deleted it on saturday well, well, i reckon they'll stay up i have 30 days to decide whether to come back or so not the pressure they gave me 30 days so valentine's day i have to decide oh good lord what i'm doing i know good little <laughs> yeah 
Maar dan loop je een beetje nog van Valentijnsdag. Ah, hij leidt ooit al bij Basie aan Valentijnsdag. Lock. Oei, oei, waarom komen back to anybody on it? If they're like a troll page, on your one, and they don't have a real profile mm. picture. Oh, their name is like John A-A-A-7-7-6-6-6. And I'm one of these people as well. I people say to you like, just don't read it, just don't look mm. at it. You have but to. But I, I have to. If they're like talking about me, I have to read it. There's just someone like, and then you see people. Some people have like just made stuff up. You know, like if I had the sex life that people have said <laughs> that I have, I wouldn't be able to go to work. I have had rumors about having sex with other journalists, married journalists, politicians, having sex for stories, and it's all complete bollocks. And it's because of my age and the way I look and political correspondence used to all be very middle class men, and they're not anymore. And the most basic thing you can say about a woman is to slag her off yeah. for being a slut or whatever. Mm. So that's been a big part of it over the last year as well. Like I've had at one point had a contact in our journalist's wife and say, listen, this is not true. It's all completely made up. And there's just, what's the point of me staying on a platform that where people are saying stuff like that? Yeah, no, you're right. I think, mm. a lot of, I think we need to kind of look into social media as well. There is a lot of pressure about like, want to be on it. Mm. Like imagine telling someone like you weren't on TikTok, you're not on Instagram, you're not on Twitter. Like, why, why are you not on it? And then like, mm. who you follow, what you follow. Like, mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to one just step away from it completely or mm -hmm. two if you don't want to step away from it and unfollow I, or block certain things i have to say like i used twitter for you know i it definitely helped my career at the start i used it for all it was worth i don't think i'd be anywhere successful as without twitter but it's not useful anymore it doesn't drive any traffic to newspaper websites any journalists will tell you that it doesn't drive traffic it it's more likely to put people off you than put people on you I just don't see the point in it anymore. And I don't think it's going to last very much longer either. Really? The whole Twitter platform? Mm -hmm. <coughs> Why is that? It's not profitable. It's never been profitable. Elon Musk, um, the world's biggest clown shoe, has taken it over and he can't make it profitable either. He's losing money hand over fist trying to sort it out. And more and more people are leaving because it's just getting worse. And they had a massive data hack recently. So people who are involved in tech and stuff don't want anything to do with it either because they don't want them having their details. So I can't see it lasting too much longer. But in fairness, when he, he reduced the workforce by 75% and people said it wouldn't last a week and he's Look at since. the share price now of Twitter and yeah. Tesla. Like he's not. But share prices are like inflicted by things like, oh, this fella said fuck on the radio and then <coughs> his company, like he smoked a joint on Joe Rogan's podcast and the share price went down on Tesla. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily reflect how a company is performing mm -hmm. or what the product is doing. Mm -hmm. So share prices can be a bit of a... I think what he might do is he'll try and sell it off again. I'd say he will, yeah. Yeah, I think he won't let it go down. He will, he'll knock it down with a ship. He'll try and sell it off to someone else. But I just don't know. I can't see Twitter lasting that much longer. All right, well, we'll pull it back anyways. <laughs> so, go, uh, fuck Elon Musk, one of yeah. them. <laughs> Zingers, Calvin. Yeah, so we actually have to go back to the own zingers and uh, the own the fucking Dave, I wasn't know what a zinger is, by the way. No. Yeah. But um, I have one for this week, yeah? Right. Right. Would you rather... Oh, God, I hate these. Oh, right, this is what a zinger is, right, even. This okay. is the whole, right. this whole the podcast. But they're not that deep, Evie, yeah? They're not that deep. This whole <laughs> podcast is built on the foundation of zingers. Okay. Like, if we didn't have this, I don't think the podcast would have got anywhere near where it is. I'd just be slaughtered if we doing an episode without a zinger. Okay, go. So, would you rather... Never have to queue again, or never have to stop at traffic lights again. Sure, don't drive. 
knew this was coming. I knew that was coming. Do you know what I mean like in general? So you're in a car, you're in a you never have to stop, or a bus. Or, yeah, whatever. I never stop. Oh, I know what your answer is, anyways. Hundred percent, you know what my answer is. Yeah, but I go never kill again. I would go traffic lights. I go traffic lights all day. You want to see Calvin carries on disgraceful at traffic lights. Why? See when the traffic light, he, he just he turns into a demon. Like you want to see him Aoife, in the car. Like I do be evaluating people's cars. I'd be like, that car's worth sixty fucking grand. You think it fucking drive it? <laughs> Legit. Like I packed the traffic light one because I don't love in town. And then I'm always rushing on the town for work or something else. And it's always, I realise how many traffic lights I need to go through to get into town. It's queuing, I don't really mind. Queuing, like, it depends what you're queuing for. But, like, queuing... Like, they always... T- technically, tech, if we're going to get into it, waiting at a traffic light is being in a queue. Yeah, but... It is. You're just in a, in a car. Yeah. See, I've ruined it no, now. It is. No, I Traffic is not queuing. <laughs> You are, you're in a queue. It's right through. It's right a queue. You're waiting to be served. You're waiting to be served. No, 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 no. You're in yeah. a queue of cars at a traffic light. You're waiting to be served. That's what a queue is. Right, well, when I thought of a queue, I just automatically thought of the airport. Like, it's queuing in the airport is a nightmare. Yeah. But yeah. you just go in and get straight Because you the are, like, an international jet setter, so that's automatically what you thought of. Fire flights in my whole life. But still, them fire flights, it's a melter. Is it not, no? What, 48 hours in the airport from five flights. <laughs> <laughs> it's still that, but that's the only thing, the first thing that came to mind. Mm. But I know for a fact you'll pick. Traffic I'll right. go for the traffic lights. I'll go for the traffic lights. Yeah, it's like traffic is a nightmare, mate. Traffic lights as well. And you know, certain traffic lights change quicker than others. You know, when you pull up, you're like, these jokes go red straight away. You mm. think about this way more than I think about this. Yeah, but like, see when I'm in the car, I swear. Oh, do you ever get that in the car where you'd be like, your fault? It throws tantrums and all. But, you know, I, on everybody so. gets road rage. If yeah. you're in a Russian stuff, I get I get road rage. <laughs> My dad has really, really, really bad road rage. And he, he wouldn't be the most patient man in the world anyway. And one time we were in the car in Derry and we were we. And we were going around a roundabout and he was in a rush going somewhere. I can't mind where we were going. And he was like giving off about the car in front of us, like spitting in the car, like raging about this person. He was like, get off the road, man, I'm shouting or whatever. And he went round the roundabout and came out into the other lane and uh, put his middle finger up out the window to the person. And the other person in the car was a fucking nun. <laughs> Legend, he's right. He's right. Long of a bollock. That's Shook a bad one. <laughs> no, that's a bad as one. As soon as we were, I went, that's numb. And he just turned on me and he was like, do not tell your mother I don't know. I'm lessons in the convents. Yeah, that's a bad one. It happened to Big Jim there last year. Big Jim was giving a large portion to a car in front of him, yeah. Roared out the window and the whole lot pulled up a shoot and it was the guard. <laughs> so he went to go around and we were like, yeah, pull in there, pal. Yes, yeah. Shout out the big GM toilet party. That was the crack. So it happened to him last year, yeah. You know, when I'm in traffic, once the light goes from red to green, you have about 1.8 seconds before I beep you. <laughs> you can't go straight into the steering wheel and I'm like, right. No, nope, right. <laughs> Drive your fucking car to the green. Yeah. Oh, I hate people like you. Eva, have you got any singers? A little would you rather or something? Um, Would you rather... Have no legs or no arms. Sound, Eva. <laughs> Sound. What about your man who was fighting an MMA there a couple of weeks ago? No Animal. Animal. I would go no legs. Would you, yeah? Mm. 
Because you can do a lot more with your arms. You're not going to be able to like, lift up a cup of tea with your feet. Walking, you probably can, but like... Just walking alone. Christy but Brown I can get a wheelchair right, and wheel myself if I have arms. Christy yeah, Brown done all right with a left foot. No, can you only? Well known left foot. What if you want to make a cup of tea? Like You have arms. Yeah, how are you getting to the press to get tea bags, Elva? Because you would live in an adapted house. Would you, yeah? You well, people, people quid, in wheelchairs yeah. live in adapted, adapted houses. You'd have to say the no legs, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. I think you would. What, you'd go no legs as well? Mm. Would you, yeah? Would you go no arms? No arms all day. Look, it's because you, you don't drive. <laughs> <laughs> do you drive? Of course I do. Do you, yeah? No, I, no way, no way. Like walking. Yeah, you're in a wheelchair. You're in a wheelchair, you could wheel yourself about. Oh, you get an electric no. wheelchair. Yep. This is giving me anxiety. Like surely you can get like, I don't know, are we talking from the waist down completely? You can keep your man butts if you want. Right. In my would you rather. So I'll keep my woman then. butts and you have keep... one leg. Yeah, you wish. Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that, I just don't know if yeah. So we, we'll all keep our genitalia. So we'll go from the tops or well, thighs. What I'm trying to think is, could you get like prosthetic legs? No, 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 no. no. You're going from like, just your... Hip hops. down basically, aye. yeah. Aye. yeah. Right. And then for the arms, you're going from the shoulders out. I shoulders out. Right. So no prosthetics. You have to live without either your arms or your legs. Right. Oh, Are we even allowed to talk about this? I don't see why, Anna. Right, great. Aaron's is very on edge about everything I allowed to talk about. Like, it's, it's that borderline. Because you just have these people that want to be offended by certain things, don't no. you? No, you but know, I don't think gonna, we're being Are we going to be called ableist now? For no, no. Like, What's I it? don't think we're being offensive. There's pros and cons to both things, I think. Yeah. yeah. I'd rather have no legs. No me arms. too I'd rather have no arms I think the world we're very more... we're all very lucky and privileged that we're up 100%. and about as, yes 100% agree but yeah I think I would go no legs right Grant sort any more us? sorry there was a fella on Tommy Turner this week he had no arms did you see it he had an arm transplant he had an arm transplant an ar- two, I didn't, a double, I didn't a double it. arm transplant it was mad he was on like an electrical accident and he got an arm transplant and it's amazing can he move his arms yep Oh, so what do you mean so, an arm? So like he has new arms. I knew arms, like so you I'm can take. Yeah. They sit like yeah, like when you're looking what, not at not the steel yokes. No, 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 not steel. Like it's skin. Somebody it's like somebody's arm. arms and it works. Aye. So the way it works is his nerve endings fuse with the new arms nerve endings, and it'll take. He says he go, it grows a millimeter per week. Maybe can't remember, but anyway, he says that he's getting more and more feeling coming back. So now he can move his wrists and stuff, and it's amazing. It was so so class. That is the and maddest. he can dress himself and all now. And he said like his whole life was kind of taken out. He was in an accident, and he said he, he felt like his whole life had been taken away from him because he couldn't do anything for himself. And now, like with the miracles of science, he was able to like he can dress himself and all that sort of stuff. So it was amazing. Yeah, Did someone get a head transplant before? Something like that. A head. No, but there's loads of there's loads of these mad transplants going down. People are getting fucking a, he- a heart transplant. No, man, bro, bro, there's more. What's a head? How can you put? That was more a whole like head transplants on there. People are getting. I, well, that woman, remember in France, she was mauled by a dog. I think when she was quite young, and she had like a. Face transplant, I remember that. So that means she got someone else's face. Yeah, but she still That's... has her own bone structure and stuff. But it's like a, I think of like a really, really, really extreme skin graft sort of thing. But see, like this is where it gets really weird because you're taking somebody else who's who's passed away there. So like imagine mm. I don't know your sister passed away and someone took her face and like you're walking down the road and you see someone. It would be even weirder because I don't have a sister, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> 
like, well, you're like, no, no but like I'm a organ donor and I've I said that they can have absolutely everything. Scan eyes. I'm an organ donor. Tommy drove it. Yeah. yeah. I just said you can have everything. Yeah. Sure, I'm not using them. Exactly. You don't need it. You're, yeah. you're going into a box anyway. So exactly. I don't know what way you like witcher. So you may as well. You Are you an organ donor? No. You need to be. Do I? Yeah. Yeah. And you're not bringing the in. Well, the, you new, the new legislation now yeah. is that you are until you say you aren't. So mm. you have to opt out if you you're don't. Automatically an organ donor until you actually go and say, I don't want Yeah, to. I don't really give a fuck what yeah. happens. Yeah. Like once I'm bleeding dead, you get exactly. me? Yeah, you, you, you get Like if it's your fault to someone else, yeah. why wouldn't yeah. you? No benefit. Yeah. So. And it's nice for the family. So yeah, somebody in my family died in a car accident and then the ma got a letter, a letter like four or five months later to say this is where the, the organs, organs are. are. This yeah. is where the organs are. Actually, yeah. That's yeah. Your life is gone. You could yeah, be exactly. giving someone else life, basically. Yeah. So we don't see the need to fucking keep it. Like, you know no. Right? Some people are funny about their eyes, you know, their corneas and stuff, but Boy. I don't have to take them. They just don't want people taking them. That's a bit of a strange one, no? Mm. You can take everything but not me eyes. Yeah. A lot of people opt out for the eyes. They don't want... Why? Is that like a reason behind it? I think the people are afraid <laughs> if they get to heaven, they won't be able to see. <laughs> All right. Just the world we live in. <laughs> right. So uh, so that's that. <laughs> yeah. Any suggestions, Calvin? Yeah. So <laughs> we might as well address the elephant in the room or the, the elephant in the country at the minute. If we're looking so shocked. What's the elephant in the country? Well, what's the biggest thing that's going on in the country on a daily basis? The biggest thing that's making the news, social media, blocking the, up the traffic. The protests? Exactly. So, um, well, I don't think they're protests. I think they're intimidation. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, this ball, ball, ball. Right, I would just like to say this, right? There is a reason that these protests are happening in Ballymun, Antalya, and Eastwall. These are communities who have been left behind by successive governments. 40, 50 years, four or five decades. These communities have been left behind. And then the government has absolutely no consultation and comes in and says, we're going to stick another 200, 300 people into your community when we already don't give you the resources to look after your own community. And we have not done that for a long time. I am not saying that every single person who goes on them protests is there to intimidate people and that they're racist because they're not. They're frustrated with the government. But you, in any point in your life, if you find yourself outside someone where there are people fleeing war and you're shouting, get them out. You need to seriously reevaluate what you're doing. If you want to fall out with the government, go to Leinster House and protest. Do not shout in windows at kids who are fleeing war. That we are so much better than that. And I think the government has a lot to answer for because when the Ukrainian crisis, refugee crisis started, they made such a difference in how they treated Ukrainian people and how they treated other refugees. What we basically decided is that Putin was worse than the Taliban because we'll not put Ukrainian refugees in tents in Clare, but we've got Afghani refugees in tents in Clare. When the Taliban took over Afghanistan and we had loads of refugees coming, they were just put under direct provision like everybody else. And they'll say, well, Ukraine's in Europe, so we need to look after our European partners. That's not what people on the ground are thinking. And I do really think the government is trying their best when it comes to the refugee crisis and everything else. But I think there needs to be some introspection about the way they talked about people in direct provision and the way they talked about Ukrainian people. And the glaring problem was people in Ukraine are white. And that's a big part of it. See, I feel poxy now because everything I'm going to say now is going to echo everything that you've just said. (laughs) But I think it's my poxy. what we were on. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, the reason as well... That we're not seeing these 
protests in Fox Rock and Black Rock is because they are not putting centres for refugees in Fox Rock and Black Rock. They're putting them in really rural areas where there is already a lack of services and public infrastructure or inner city areas and deprived areas where they built these hotels that people aren't staying in anyway. And um, that, and then they're putting refugees in there. So I think the government has a lot to answer for. I don't think everyone on them protests are racist, but I think you really need to question what you're doing <coughs> when you're shouting and Yeah, hotel. but it doesn't help when you have and local TDs and councillors mm -hmm. who are on, and it doesn't take two minutes to educate people who maybe aren't so familiar with what's going on to just sit down and say, look, this is what's happening here. Exactly. But the, and you know who I'm talking about as well. Most people know who I'm talking about here as well from our community. People who are going out and they're trying to condescend the comments. And if anybody questions anything what's going on, you're a racist. Mm -hmm. And it's just so condescending that putting mm -hmm. people down. Instead of just sitting people down and saying, this is what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows who I'm talking the about. Here. The condescension I've also noticed as well is this notion that um, because you're working class, you're more likely to be racist, which is complete and utter bullshit yeah um i actually find working class communities and i come from working class communities myself are the most welcoming and generous people compared to people who've been gr grown up with money um and there's a certain type of condescension that people come that it's coming from people now saying well you shouldn't expect any better better from them estates or them communities mm. because that's not in any way near to the truth what's wrong is that these communities are already frustrated and then mm -hmm. you've put another 200 people into their community or however many people it is and not told them about it. Yeah. yeah. That's the issue. So the day the first uh, load, the bus loads of refugees arrived in East Wall, mm -hmm. someone rang me, it was a friend of mine, and he was like, this is a load of bollocks. Like, mm -hmm. what the fuck are they doing? Like, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I agree with you. Like, you have a right to be frustrated by that because mm -hmm. no one said anything, right? Yep. But you're shouting at the wrong people, as you said. Mm -hmm. Going down and shouting at a load of people getting off a coach yeah. isn't the way to go about this. Yeah. Shouting at a load of people in a hotel isn't the way to go about this. Shouting at a load of people sleeping in a fucking office block mm -hmm. isn't the way to go about this. Mm -hmm. As you said, take all your frustration and your anger and go to Lenza House. Mm -hmm. Imagine all these people that are blocking From your TD. Right to your TD. Blocking the M50. Mm -hmm. They're blocking uh, crucial block roads in and out of town. Block fucking Dawson Street, Kildare Street, they Stephen's Green. Block the route to the Children's Hospital. In Crumlin, yeah, exactly. Block around their offices. Let mm -hmm. them know. When this happened, I actually went and I met uh, politicians. I went over to Lensa House. I fucking swallowed me pride and I went over and I sat down and I said, right, what, what have you got to say? Like, what's mm -hmm. the story? What do you want to do about this? And I, I learned a few things that day. So I learned that Ireland has a deal to take in between 15 and 20,000 refugees a year from centres all around the world, yep. mostly in North Africa, yep. where the conditions are fucking rotten. So mm -hmm. refugees will get sent to these centres mm -hmm. and we'll take in 15 to 20,000. Then you add in the war in Ukraine, yep. we'll take in another 50,000 Ukrainian and refugees. the big thing as well that people say, and when you hear politicians say this, know that they know they're talking shit. They keep saying, we need to cap the amount of refugees, we need to tell Europe, we're not allowed to do that. So any politician who's saying, we need to cap the number of refugees when it's coming from Ukraine, we're not allowed to do that. People we're in, yeah, we're in a deal, right? Yeah. So we can't do it. Exactly. So, so they, you're right, they are people pleasing. Yeah. They want the public to hear them saying that so yeah. they can say, oh, I said it. They're but they know, they, they yeah. know we can't do that. Yeah. yeah. So we're taking in another 50,000 Ukrainian refugees then. Probably a bit more. So we're taking roughly 70,000 refugees into the Ireland every year, no matter what. Yep. So when you hear people think, saying things like, look at them, they're not Ukrainian. Yeah, they're not supposed to be Ukrainian. Yeah. 
We're not taking in just Ukrainian refugees. Yeah. We have a deal. So don't go around saying this shit like they're not Ukrainian as if they're like to swindle in the system and being like, oh, I'm pretending to be Ukrainian. And also, when did we decide Ukraine good, everywhere else bad? Exactly. Yeah, so exactly, yeah. this whole shit, like they're fighting age as if they're invading the fucking country and they're not allowed to come in here unless you're Military in this age bracket. Military aged men. That's the big thing they're saying now. Military aged men. But I'll go back to what you said, Aoife. Yeah, so we're not... It's not as if we're just turning it back. We have a record number of homeless people in this country. Mm-hmm. We're not turning it back on them. Mm-hmm. And I agree, like the government haven't handled it well at all. No. We're not handing all these people kids at a three-bedroom no. gaff and social welfare payments and free everything. These people, are, six and seven people are sleeping in an office mm-hmm. together, a confined mm-hmm. space together. They're not living the life of luxury. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. How do they handle it all? They're giving modular homes out to refugees as well when we could be handling handing them out to people who are yeah. sleeping on the streets. Definitely, completely. Yeah. Yeah. Complete. This thing's a whole fucking shambles and it's mm-hmm. a lose-lose for everybody involved who's fighting here. Yeah. Everybody who's down protesting, they're not racist. And to call them all racist is condescending. I would say, the only thing I would say is that the people who are stirring this up are racist. Oh, no. So that's going to be my next yeah. point. They're being misled. Mm-hmm. And the people who are misleading them are 100% racist. Yeah. And that's a thing, but they the voice praying, of reason. They are preying on our problems that were already there and they are preying on these people's insecurities and vulnerabilities and they're saying it's about services and for the people in Valleymon and wherever else, it is about services. But see, for the far-right people, I'm in the, the telegram groups where they organise these protests and it is the most hateful, racist, awful stuff that you will ever read. They don't give a shit if your daughter's on a wait unless they see a speech therapist. They don't give a shit about the busty swords. This is about them stirring up Racism, that's all it is. Definitely. But it doesn't help, touching on what Terence was saying, when people are looking for answers off their local representatives. And they're not there. And they're getting these paragraphs after paragraph of absolute gibberish that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I've read these and I'm like, I know quite well what the comment section is going to look like in this, just from reading this. Yeah. And you go in and you see that they're misrepresented. So what I want to say to people in these areas, in Crumlin, in Ballymun, all up and down the country, in the rural areas. Mm. Remember this when it comes time from the polling exactly. stations are, are open and get out and vote because these people are that arrogant and ignorant that they think, do you know what? I got in before, I'll get in again because what I'm doing here is good for me. Fuck everybody else who I'm supposed to be representing. Mm-hmm. Now, you need to remember, you vote these people in, you can take them fucking out just as easy. Yeah. Pick someone who's has your best interests at heart, not people who have fucking vested interest elsewhere outside your community mm. you have a certain number of TDs that run in your local election people who run then on the national stage as well remember who you're putting in and get out and vote as well I'm, mm-hmm. sick, I'm blue in the face saying that on this podcast mm-hmm. we have the power to put these people in you know how much money a TD makes a year do you know how much money a TD makes then in expenses in pensions so what all your bonuses what that come in yeah? you're man. literally giving someone a career take that fucking career away or at least make them earn the money Cause it's, mm-hmm. And especially young people who walk and don't vote. Your taxpayer money, that, that you know when you get paid, say you get paid 800 euro. Mm-hmm. If you walk for 20 euro an hour, 40 hours a week, that's 800 euro. You don't get paid 800 euro no. at the end of the week. Taxes. Where does that tax go? To the government. You should go out and vote where that goes. Mm-hmm. They, you, they work for us. Exactly. We, but people four, don't realise They get four this. years. They get four years to prove themselves. And if you don't think they're doing a good job, you can go and vote them out. And I said this in the live podcast as well. They, politicians, live and die by internal polling, right? How popular they are in certain areas with certain age groups. If they see that young people, and I'm assuming this podcast, a lot of young people, isn't it? They see that, say, 18 to 25 rules, and it goes by your age, your area, and your class system, about the class you're part of. They see young people, say, 18 to 25, working class people, well, they don't vote. 
So why would I do anything for them? Exactly. Because they're not going to vote. That's why there's better roads and schools and utilities out in the black rocks of this world. Because they <coughs> vote. Everybody out there yeah. is making sure that their politicians are working for them. So people from working class communities and really rural communities who have also been left behind by government, they are the people who should be out and voting and saying, my voice matters. You work for me. I'm going to make sure that you work for me from now on mm -hmm. because the polling is telling them, sure, I don't have to fucking do anything for the other side. I didn't vote anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to touch on one or two more things because I don't want to get labeled as this and that mm -hmm. because I, I know on both sides where the concerns are. Um, I do agree with people who say that the vetting needs to be better. Everyone is vetted coming into this country. You have to declare who you are, mm -hmm. show identification and where you've come from. I do think it needs to be more robust than that. Um, I know it. Uh, it's a... a Oh. It's a complicated process yeah. because if Terence comes in here and he's had to come in from, say, Syria, mm -hmm. they have to go around to Syria and say, can you send us over all Terence? Like, yeah. Take how long? How long? No, exactly. Take like, mm. X amount of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It does need to be more. And I would also that. say that the International Protection Office is completely and utterly overrun and understaffed. Definitely. So they are just, they have a mountain of stuff. So you do have a right to be concerned and I agree with that. Mm. But don't go around shouting these lawyers that they're getting handed everything. They're sleeping on fucking offices retrofitted offices they're putting beds in offices direct provision look into direct provision in 20 years time the government is going to have to apologize for how yeah. we handle direct provision there's people getting handed fucking beans and rice for dinner seven days of the week they have, they're on a curfew they can't walk they're on a clothing allowance look into that they're sleeping in fucking prefabs look into what these people are actually getting they're not getting handed a house over your uncle who's sleeping on the street. Trust me. And the that. only thing I would say as well, and I understand because I've had it with my own family, my own friends as well. See if somebody says something to you like, them refugees are getting this, them refugees are getting that. Don't tick people's word for it. Don't tick people's word for it because you read it on Facebook or read it on Twitter or heard it on TikTok. Go and look it up from the media. If there was a... If there was an instance where someone was getting something they shouldn't be getting, that will be reported on. I don't know how many times people have, like, for instance, my family looks after 25 Ukrainians and the amount of bullshit that our family has had to put up with. Like, oh, I heard they're getting this and I heard they're getting that. Oh, he told you that. Oh, Kevin's brother's sister's auntie works in some office. Bullshit. Yeah. Look it up. If someone says something, don't take their word for it because this is how rumors start and this is how... These and this is how people like these far right actors are stirring up vulnerable communities because it's all bullshit. Like these rumors about oh, a refugee sexually assaulted some girl here, there, and everywhere, but there's been no news report, reports about it. The Guardian's not saying anything about it. Yeah. Why would that be? Because it doesn't happen. You need to be people need to be more careful about what they're listening to. Everyone does it. My old ma has done it a couple of yeah. times, and I've had to say, Mommy, where did you get that? Oh, I read that on Facebook. You need to be more discerning when you're people. People switch the narrative though, just to suit yeah, the agenda. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like even on Twitter all week, people are saying to me, "Oh, you're telling people not to protest this, yeah. that, and the other, calling me far right, far left." They don't even yeah. understand that's, any of it. This is what I was saying. That's being honest. Why I said it to Terence, I said that's why I never said anything on Twitter because you're gonna get that. Yeah, but I just think it's nuts. Like, oh, look, I'm not telling people not to protest. In fact, I'm telling people to protest. Mm. I'm protesting the right fucking place. Yeah. yeah, you're screaming at women and children in an office block. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, who gains from that? Yeah. What are you gonna do? Put the hands up and be like, hang on, I grab me stuff. Uh, and no, I'll get myself a jump back in the bus there. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it makes no sense. Like, what if the bleeding lens the house? And do you know what? If they're going over and they're gonna start marching and protesting about the right things, you'll fucking join them. Uh, do you know what I mean? They were fucking right. Mm -hmm. Shouting outside an office block at women and children is not the way to go about it. You block traffic outside Leinster House for five days in a row, I guarantee something will change. I guarantee. And this you might point. Else is annoying me. You have people down there protesting outside these uh, refugee centres and then people counter protests on that. 
and it's Whoa. just a load yeah. of infighting. Like, look what this person and said I to that also, person. He's a great hero and I, now. And you're like, no. The two you should take is that anger and frustration and point it in the right direction and walk together. Imagine everyone got together. Because we're we're down on the bottom of the ladder fucking I, competing against and, each and other. And I would also yeah. say as well, and like I, I, I know for a lot of people who see these protests, the easy thing is to jump down someone's throat and say, you're a racist, you're yeah. an arsehole, you're and this and the other. That is not how you're going to change people's minds. You need to understand that if you feel that someone is being a racist, that comes from a place of vulnerability. They're scared about their future. They're scared about their kids' future. They're scared about what's happening in the country. And it's to do with a lack of information and definitely. misinformation. Yeah, definitely, so yeah. what you need to do is counter that with facts and figures and actual reports of what is going on, not jumping down somebody's throat and calling them a racist because they're worried about what's happening well, in their that's community. that's what these local fucking TDs are doing. They're fighting fire by fire and just... And like the other part of it is, and I was chatting to... I was covering the Ballymun protests and I was chatting to a number of local councillors who said, see that see the people who are stirring up these protests and organizing these protests, these far right people, when it was public, there was Primetime did a program a couple of years ago about open drug dealing in Ballymun and the scourge of what drugs are doing in Ballymun. None of these far right people organized any protests then. They never marched in any drug dealer stores. What they are doing is stirring up racial hatred in vulnerable communities because they know they can get away with it and that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. I, again, I, I keep touching back on subjects all over and over again, but Local TDs, they haven't done anything to help it. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm in a position of privilege now. I'm not one of you anymore. What I say goes, I'm right, you're Do wrong. Me, no matter what you say, this is the truth. Like, I'm not a politician, right? And I don't have any experience other than working in politics. I have not heard of one politician organising a community meeting in the areas where there was these protests. They say, right, the two, three, whatever, uh, local TDs and a couple of councillors, we'll do a meeting in the parish hall and we'll tell you What's happening? Eva, Why has that not been organised? When yeah. I went to Lenza House that day and I sat down and I was given the facts and figures, the first thing I said was, why didn't you put that on Facebook? Why didn't you put that on Twitter? Well, Why don't you do a, tw- a video and just explain yeah. all this? Instead of being like, you're a racist for mm-hmm. saying this. Yeah. We need to do that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no. If you had said X, Y, Z, mm-hmm. we need we take in this amount of people, we're taking in this amount extra because of this, mm-hmm. and this is how the process works. People will be like, oh, I get it. Now. That yeah. makes more sense. Yeah. But in fairness to Limna, she set up that Telefor All page yeah. and explains it. Yeah. Like, it's literally just common sense. This is what's yeah. happening here right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just educating people. And like, Lena's got a great response from that as mm-hmm. well. You know what I mean? But people, she's also got a lot of shit as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But you're going to get that. You yeah. know what I mean? But you'll but, get shit from people who don't want to hear it. Who don't want to hear it. The people yeah. who just want, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But, confused people and the, the people who are in fear will listen to that and be like, mm-hmm. I want to know what's happening. If I tell you, see every fella getting off that bus there, they don't deserve to be here. They're going to take all the money over. They're going to rape your daughter and they're mm-hmm. going to take your uh, son's job. You'd be like, here, get them back on that fucking bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas I say, no, this is what th- th- they really came from. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, oh, I get it now. Mm-hmm. You know, and as well, do you know what doesn't help? People in the media, legacy media, I won't call the mainstream, the legacy mm-hmm. media, yeah, coming around and saying, ah, the Ukrainians, I beat them like they could be our neighbor. They look just like us. That definitely doesn't fucking help. No, that's so racist. It's, do- it's that's dog whistling. Racist. It's dog whistling. It's like, oh, well, it's on Europe. Now, what you're saying is that they're right. Yeah. Do you just say that's, it. Say that's, it that's, what, that's what we're saying. We, you've, like the Taliban, I would argue, you're actually doing like worse, if not equally as bad as what. Putin is doing. Like, women in, under the Taliban can't do anything, can't go anywhere, aren't allowed to go to school. They're, the way they treat their own communities is horrific. But when people from Afghanistan come over here, we fire them on the direct provision. We fire them on the tents if there's no room in direct provision. But we've decided for Ukrainians, 
That wouldn't be fair. Is a human emergency not a human emergency? If there's humans involved, it doesn't matter what they look like. I think that is something the government is going to have to answer for. Mm -hmm. Because I do think it has fed into this narrative that Ukrainian good, everybody else bad. Ukrainian real refugee, everyone else chancing their own. Chancer, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Mm -hmm. but yeah, so go away in the bleeding hotels and fucking office blocks. Go over the lens of the house. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Eva. <laughs> we get into home. Do you just panic there? No, we'll be like, ready to go. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. We go back to the start with you, Aoife, mm -hmm. if that's all right. Yep. What's your name and where'd you come from? My name is Aoife. I am from Derry City. Um, and I have been a political journalist in Dublin for the last five years. Yeah. Right, so wrap mm. that up. That's episode <laughs> <laughs> uh, What was life like growing up in Derry? Uh, good. Uh, I think... When you explain it to other people, they might think some of it is a bit weird. I think we saw that with the reaction to Dairy Girls. Um, so I grew up um, pre-Good Friday Agreement and then I was seven or eight when they signed the Good Friday Agreement. So obviously a lot changed after that. Um, Dairy is a really, really political city. Always has been. It's the home of civil rights. The civil rights movement started in Dairy. John Humes from Dairy. Um, and then the many people argue that the troubles also started in Derry. Um, and responsibility for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you know, uh, Derry was a majority nationalist city, which made it very different from Belfast. Um, and Catholics nationalists were um, second class citizens. So even though Derry was a majority Catholic city, it was run by a unionist council. And then um, all the Disenfranchised, what's the word? Cut that out. All the discrimination. <laughs> um, so there was a huge amount of discrimination. Uh, Catholics weren't allowed to, you weren't allowed to vote in Northern Ireland unless you had a house, but they wouldn't allocate any houses to Catholics. Unless you had a house? Yeah, you had to have a address. address. Yeah. And, that's a strange one, isn't it? And uh, that's why the civil rights uh, movement was started because you, if you owned a business, you could have two or three votes. If you had a house, you didn't have, if you didn't have a house, you didn't have any. And gerrymandering as well. And gerrymandering, which means unionist councils were responsible for nationalist cities. And that's why the civil rights movement was started. Um, so Derry is very political. You grow up really political um, or politically aware, I would say. And then my family were obviously made more political or more politically aware because my uncle was murdered by the British Army on Bloody Sunday, along with 13 other men and boys in 1972. And then my family um, were one of the main families who founded the Bloody Sunday Justice Campaign, which took 39 years for the British government to admit that the men and boys that they murdered were unarmed. They were not in the IRA. And eventually David Cameron said sorry and said it was unjustified and unjustifiable. But Bloody Sunday was very much an open wound in Derry for a really long time it kind of overshadowed everything and I think that's why I became a journalist was because there was just always this feeling of right and wrong and this kind of come from like a campaigning family and the campaign was always just a big part of my life but growing up in the north you know the last statistic I saw that was like one in ten one in every ten people in the north is either related is closely related to someone who's either been killed or injured in the troubles so 10% of the population. And then obviously in bigger cities like Derry and Belfast, it's more than that compared to, say, rural, rural areas. 
And I thought it was really interesting, actually, because Patrick Kielty was on the Tommy Tiernan show at the weekend and his father was murdered by UFF uh, when Paddy was 16. And he said, you know, it wasn't normal, but it wasn't strange. You know, I wasn't even the only person in my class who was a Bloody Sunday family at school. So it did, it just infected everything. If you grew up, you said it's very nationalist. Did you mm -hmm. know many unionists growing up? No, I never met a Protestant my own age until I was 16. So I grew up in a really nationalist, really Republican estate. I went to a Catholic primary school. I went to a convent secondary school, as you can probably tell. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> why, why would we laugh at that? And, um, why couldn't we tell? And uh, <laughs> money missing. A convent, yeah. Uh, secondary school. Get driving lessons there. And. <laughs> I only started meeting Protestants when I started hanging out in town, drinking and going to bars and stuff. And then that's when I first met Protestants my own age. But where would I meet a Protestant? Sure, I live in Derry would have been a bit more divided then when I was growing up. Um, and then sure, you don't meet them at school and you don't meet them after school and you don't play GEA with them. So where would you, where would you meet? Mm. What were you like in school, Eva? A nightmare. <laughs> Brand. <laughs> <laughs> I, for my whole life, teachers always told me that I was smart, but I could do better. Too chatty, too disruptive, bad behaviour. I uh, had a very bad time in secondary school. I was a bit of a tearaway, drinking and smoking and had pink hair and got my first tattoo when I was 15 in somebody's kitchen. Um, Sounds like a good night. <laughs> uh, yeah, kicked out of school at one point. Parents called to the school all the time. Just I'm just you, there's just certain people I just go it's just not for them, and I just wasn't one of them people. I just had a real issue being told what to do. So you always had a problem with the establishment. Yep, so always like a had rebel a problem without with a cause. Kind yeah, of thing. always had a problem with authority, but that definitely comes, I think, from the family. Even though my man and dad were up the walls. Well, my, somebody said to me, ma, <laughs> recently, did you always know Aoife was going to be a successful journalist? And my ma started laughing and says, we didn't even think we would get it through school. So. <laughs> <laughs> what is your stash on interest in that, though, then? Um, I was always very politically aware just because of the family and stuff. Um, and then I decided I was going to be a journalist early on. I think I was about 14 or 15 when I decided maybe that I was going to be a journalist. That's so young, like. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's... I don't mean to sound disrespectful, it's so weird, isn't it? It is weird. Yeah, it is definitely weird. That young. Yeah. But like the thing for me was, you know, I grew up knowing so much about yeah. Bloody Sunday. And the big thing for me was what annoyed me is in the aftermath of Bloody Sunday, the British Army put out a statement saying that the people they had murdered were combatants. They were IRA men and they had weapons and they were fired on first. And the British press took the statement, didn't question one line of it and printed it in all the papers next day and then tried to keep that narrative for 40 years. And it was only through the journalists who were on the ground on the day, Japanese photographers, Italian photographers that were there, French journalists, people that were there and said, here, hold on a minute. That's not what happened. So Bloody Sunday is probably the perfect example of how good and useful the press can be and how poisonous and damaging the press can be. And I remember thinking, I've always been a very kind of, you can't just complain about something, you have to do something about it. And I kind of got into journalism because I hated the press and I thought I want to do this, but I want to do it right. Um, and that's kind of why I got on it because I really, really disliked, especially the tabloid press, how they treated people like my community. 
um, in other people's communities. And I think that's why in my journalism now, I tend to be attracted to the kind of fringes of society and the less mm, the less people who don't have as loud a voice in society. So I've always, you know, done stuff with, about sex work. Like I think sex work is something that Ireland really needs to um, look in the eye. Basically, our laws um, are actually putting sex workers at risk. I've done loads with the Stardust family and the Stardust families because they remind me of the Body Sunday families. Mm. Just working class people who went out for a night out and died through no fault of their own. And again, like the Body Sunday families, although the circumstances are different, are fighting for just basic truth about what happened to the people that they love. And we all know that if the Stardust was in Blackrock or wherever else, they wouldn't be having this fight. This would have been sorted years ago. These were young people from Artine and Kulak. So every government has pawned them off. And that's the sort of stuff I'm more attracted to because the thing that bothers me, and we talked about this in the live show, is that people from marginalised communities and vulnerable communities think politics has got nothing to do with them. Mm. And I am so passionate about telling people that it has everything to do with them. The reason that your community is not being looked after is because the politicians don't think there's anything to gain for them to look after your community. And you need to be able to be people to tell them, you work for me. That's why people need to be good out and voting. And politics is everything. If your daughter is on a waiting list for a speech therapist, if your granny's on a trolley in the corridor, if you can't get a detox centre for your area, that's all politics. That's they Their budgets are, if you see someone's budget, you can see what their priorities are. And if your community is not their priority, you need to make sure the next time you go to the ballot box that you put on somebody who is going to make your community their priority. So I think that's kind of the family thing and, you know, the fight to be heard is why I got into journalism because I want to help people who sound like me. Well, you don't sound like me down here, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Walking class is what you say. Rough, yeah. rough, you say. <laughs> Look at dogs in there, rough. <laughs> um, so obviously, I think you kind of answered that question where like, why did you go into political journalism? Mm-hmm. Kind of answer that. And where did you study for that? I went to Glasgow. Um, I got accepted under this big Hogwarts type uni, University of Glasgow. It's a stunning big building, looks like Hogwarts. But I said, nah, no way, I'm not going there. I'll not fit in there. So I went to Glasgow Caledonian, which used to be a tech in Polytechnic, and did journalism there for four years. And then ended up staying in Glasgow all together for about eight years. So I came from uh, Glasgow to Dublin. Why Dublin and not? I moved to Dublin before I'd been to Dublin. I just, I wanted to come home and I knew I wouldn't get the work, obviously, in Derry or Belfast. And the best journalism in Ireland is in Dublin. And I just, I had to live in a big city. I had moved from Derry to Glasgow and then I went to Melbourne for two years in Australia to journalism there. And I wanted to come home, but I didn't want to go to Derry or Belfast, so it would have had to be in Dublin. I wanted to work at a national newspaper. I've always been very uh, determined. So the goal was to get to a national newspaper. So I moved to Dublin and started in the Star in the summer that the Hutch and Kinahan gang war started. And I loved it. <laughs> I, my first 
day at the Irish Daily Star. My first day in Dublin. I don't have any word of love, but I had a shift at the Star. And it was a double shooting in Ballymun. And that was my first day. And from then on, I was like, this is where I want to be. This is the this is the city for me. And now I don't think I'll ever leave. So I stuck with you is what you said. You're stuck with me. I... Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Flux. Roundabout <laughs> way, yeah. yeah. Talking about the troubles there, Evie, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. Up the north. Hugely, yeah. And I don't, I don't know if I'm right in saying this, but I think more people have died by suicide since the Good Friday Agreement mm-hmm. than people that actually died in the Troubles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mick, Mick Connor mentioned this. Yeah. He mentioned this on it. So, there used to be this thing, um, it used to be called, Bel- they called it Belfast Syndrome. Now, when, it was an old name for it. When you look back now, it was probably PTSD, but they didn't have that sort of language at the time. And it actually wasn't the combatants um, the IRA men, the loyalists, the soldiers that were most affected by Belfast Syndrome. It was the people on the sidelines, the women and the children and the men who had been exposed to violence um, while they were walking to work, going to school or whatever. And uh, years ago, they used to just throw out pills. Um, this next like 60s and 70s, so God knows what it was, but it was mood pills. I don't know if it was blues or whatever. But, and... Um, there was no, you know yourself, the same down here, there's no talking about your mental health. Mental health wasn't a phrase anyone was using at that time. And it has seeped into every facet of life in the North. So even now, the last statistics that we had was um, for every uh, 100,000 people in the South, there's about eight suicides. In the North, there's 14. So it's nearly double. Nearly double yeah. yeah. Um, we are more, and it's the same for the rest of the UK. So you are more likely in Northern Ireland to be descri- prescribed diazepam or or whatever else. Um, we have the highest rate of long-term unemployed, highest rate of debt, uh, personal debt. I guess the dairy in Strabane district area used to be the most poverty-stricken area of the UK. Um, and that's all a hangover from the troubles. Um, and that comes from everything from, like, say, employment, so, like, when my granda had uh, my dad and his brothers and stuff, like, everybody's dad worked in England. You had to go to England to work. So my granda would be away for two months and then back for two weeks and then away for two months again. There's no jobs for Catholics. And then say things like in Derry, for instance, so if you, if you wanted, if you were an American and you had a big factory to build, you're not going to build your factory where somewhere can get blown up. So they didn't build things in Derry and inner city Belfast. They couldn't build skip. They wouldn't build schools in inner city Belfast because they were afraid they would get blown up. So the long term unemployment obviously takes a huge toll, especially on men, especially on young men. Um, and that there is a long, long kind of legacy now of intergenerational trauma because the other side of it is when violence is normalized in the street. It's also normalised in the home. So the North is one of the most dangerous places in Europe to be a woman. Um, The rates of domestic violence is through the roof. And that also comes from a legacy of not trusting police and security forces. Um, The way it used to work in the North is that the paramilitaries, and for some parts of the North this is still the case, but the paramilitaries were the police. You didn't go to the cops if you had a problem. You went to the RA or you went to the UDA and they sorted it out. So if you were a wife beater or you were abusing your kids or whatever, someone out of the family would go to the IRA or go to the 
UD and say, this is what's happening. But what happens when your husband's in the IRA? What happens when your husband's in the UD? And when you accept a certain level of violence in the street, then you subconsciously then accept a certain amount of violence in the home. And I think a lot of feminist writers and stuff from Northern Ireland would say that the biggest legacy from the Troubles isn't so much the violence in the street because we could, you know, we can look at it in the eye and we could have truth commissions and we can talk about it. But it's the unseen violence that thousands of people went through at home and is still now, there is a legacy of that and we're seeing that in homicide, femicide um, cases now still in the north. You know, Natalie McNally was killed there, uh, pregnant, girl the same age as me, was killed there before Christmas and it's just, um, it's an ongoing issue and Stormont isn't sitting, there is no budget, so there can be no domestic violence or gender-based violence plan implemented because the funding isn't there because Stormont isn't sitting. So the Good Friday Agreement was probably, it's held up as this model of like the impossible can happen if people are willing to compromise. But I very much feel that everybody signed this document, everybody voted for it or nearly everybody voted for it. And then the politicians walked away and said, right, that's us now. Should we have peace? It's not the peace we need to be worried about. It's the legacy of the trouble that we need to be dealing with. And the other issue that we're seeing now as well is, so I can only speak from Derry's point of view, but um, the issue with drugs is something that's relatively new for nationalist communities. Um, the IRA kept, now don't get me wrong, there was plenty of other stuff going on, but for the most part, the IRA kept <laughs> drugs out of nationalist communities. They were very anti-drugs. Because it got weed or mushrooms or anything, but anything harder than that, like you weren't getting it. And then... After the Good Friday Agreement, when the paramilitaries all, well, the Republican paramilitaries anyway, laid down their weapons for the most part, the drugs started flooding in. And then when drugs start flooding in, into communities where there's low employment and already a legacy of mental health, of course the drug problem was going to get worse. Derry still does not have a detox centre. And there has been, you know, ongoing protests and fights and arguments about getting dairy to a detox centre. You know, it's 120,000 people with a legacy of mental health and doesn't have its own detox centre. So they're the kind of problems that Northern Ireland is really facing now, but it is all, it all stems back to the troubles. Definitely. And a legacy of poverty. And you know better than anybody that a legacy of poverty mm. also infects every part of somebody's life as well. You know, from speaking to people from the north and even border counties, mm -hmm. Monaghan as well, mm -hmm. You was all come across very dry and intimidating. <laughs> I, I don't mean this like in it. No, I know. And intimidating, but like you mean so well that some of the nicest people I've ever met are from the north. Mm -hmm. I've never met someone that you couldn't get along with from the north. Mm -hmm. And then I've been to Croatia a couple of times mm -hmm. and the people are very similar. Then some people yeah. would say that they're ignorant, but yeah. they're not. They're just they're to direct. the point. To the point, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was thinking... It's only when you only reflect back and mm. this podcast has me doing that with every guest and yeah, all yeah, my yeah. life experiences now and I'm thinking like, <clears throat> is that a legacy of PTSD and trauma from fucking being living in a war it's zone? not so much trauma. Um, I suppose it is. We have a a saying, whatever you say, say nothing. So I actually was taken aback when I loved started loving in the South. Jesus, she's love gossiping. 
Oh my God. Oh, stop it. Southerners. People's favourite thing to do. Southerners. Yeah. Love gossiping. And don't get me wrong, people in the North gossip too, Jesus. But I couldn't get over the difference. And it's because in the North, you had to be very careful what you say it all the time. Mm. So say nothing is a state of mind as well as a phrase that people say. Well, omerta. Omerta. <laughs> and it's, I even noticed it in COVID. The notion of people phoning the Gardaí on their neighbours because they were right, I don't know, breaking the rules or whatever. It's just so alien to me as a concept. The big thing in the North is just mind your business. Mm. You know, say nothing. And I'm not by any, I know I've said this, but I'm not by any stretch saying that they don't gossip in the North because obviously they do. But it is just different down here. Mm. It's, uh, the consequences for you are always a bit lower than they would have <laughs> been for us, you know what I mean? But the directness, I have noticed that as well. Um, people think I'm a bit brash or rude sometimes but I and it's just a northern thing we can't yeah. beat about the bush like we, we have, just to, have good intentions and so. like even in without getting too into it we fail as in relationships and stuff I have noticed how different it is even you're coming across a bit harsh but we're very much we have to address the elephant in the room there's no oh I don't know we'll see about this and also I find we people in the south so very concerned we seem impolite, even when politeness is not warranted or the person doesn't deserve it. You know, <laughs> like to give res- to get respect, you give respect. That's very much how it works in the north. And um, obviously, northern people are very polite and warm and stuff as well. But there is a type of. I remember a mentor of mine, Susan McKay. She's a Protestant from Derry, and she said when she came down here and she started working for the Sunday Tribune years ago in Dublin in the seventies and eighties. And she said she'd be saying something and she thought she was acting completely normally. And someone in the office would be like, it's okay, it's okay, calm down. And she'd be like, I am fucking calm. <laughs> this is just the way we talk. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of it as well. We come across a bit aggressive, but I think it's just the way we talk. Well, I always say it to Terry. And I even say it to me, I will around as well. I was like, I hate being in a relationship with someone from the north. I was like, imagine <laughs> yeah. you get into an argument with them. <laughs> No, I don't think that's what it is. I don't think it's necessarily like for me even um I saw a Dublin fella once and we got on the right and immediately he was like, Why are you shouting? And I was like, Because this is how you have an argument. It's a valid point. Um but I it's a directness. It's just we don't Maybe it's just a legacy thing of we didn't have the time or energy to beat about the bush when everything was so serious. Mm. Mm. And Northern people were very serious for a very serious time, you know. I wonder if you, if you could look into that, you know, areas around the world where they'd have conflict for so long mm-hmm. through generations. Yeah. Like would tourists deem them as rude? Mm-hmm. A lot of people, like we went to a wedding in Croatia, a lot of people were like, that just that was a bit rude, mm-hmm. isn't it? I was like... When I finished, I asked for the bill, he handed the bill. Yeah, yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. like a song to dance about. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. I was thinking, like, geez, they, they went through a lot as well. Like, yeah, you know what exactly. I, mean? years, I so. think it probably is quite common in post-conflict songs that it is kind of uh, an attitude mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, because dairy people, especially, and I know I'm biased, but everyone says some dairy people are like the friendliest people that you'll ever meet. Um, in a very, we don't stand on ceremony, ceremony for anybody. Yeah. So like my friend even is from Belfast and we were walking down the street and this man stop me because where'd you get your boots and I says oh I'll show your office or whatever and he was all they're class and thanks and he walked on and my friend says do you know him he's like nah 
She was like, that's just the way dairy people are. You could talk to anybody. There's no formalities about anything. We're the least formal people in the world. Mm. Eva, probably our most famous work, and I know we talked about it on the live show, but we can't not. Mm-hmm. And anyone who exposes the government for being <laughs> two-faced and corrupt, I'll, I'll hear that all mm-hmm. day. So, uh, Golfkey, mm-hmm. for people who probably can't remember. But yeah. Your eyes um, lighting up there, yeah. don't they? The hypocrisy. Like, hypocrisy, the- is it? Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was working at the Irish Examiner at the time and myself and my p- pal, Paul Hosford, got an anonymous email of a video of the table plan for the Aractus Golf Society annual prize giving dinner uh, for 85 people. And that morning, the COVID rules had changed so that no more than six people could gather together. We were in the height of the summer lockdown. And we set to work. It was a Thursday. And the story went out at half there, about seven o'clock on the Thursday evening, that 85 politicians, former politicians, the Attorney General, uh, the EU Trade Commissioner, the Minister for Agriculture, Senators, TDs, the Captain of the Arctis, uh, all had a hooli. They had a dinner and a prize given and speeches. And we had still at this stage then people standing outside chapels because they couldn't go to funerals. And it exploded. The story went everywhere. Uh, We were quoted in the New York Times. It was just a legacy of non-stop. The news just wouldn't stop coming. The next morning, Dara Kaliri resigned as Minister for Agriculture. Phil Hogan resigned as the EU Trade Commissioner. Uh, Seamus Wolfe, who was the Attorney General, was then supposed to go on to the bench of the Supreme Court and the um, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court asked him not to, to reconsider it, considering everything that had gone on. Seamus Wolfe said no and now he sits on the bench in the Supreme Court and it very much damaged the government in what was the very early days of that government. That government only got together in June and Gulfgate was August. So it has been the legacy. I think it's the main thing that people do remember. Um, about the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. I was sort of with the Greens, the Green Coalition. <laughs> but it was, it's pro- it's the biggest thing that's ever happened in my career. I don't think I'll ever, I think I peaked way too early. <laughs> <laughs> so you scored an hat-trick on your debut. <laughs> I'm not ever going to get anything as big ever again. Over there. Yeah. Um, what was the, obviously there was, it was unbelievable for you. What's the repercussions to that? What was the cons to that? So when you were telling me you got abuse over the Shreve and I still can't comprehend I can't wrap my head around how someone can say, see ho, fuck ho, for doing that. Yeah. I don't get, like, what did you do wrong? Just, well, it's like it was myself and Paul, but I am the lightning rod. I'm a woman, blonde hair, young, northern. And there's a certain section of some very middle class southern men who no matter what I say are going to hate me anyway. I make them uncomfortable in their politics. I make them uncomfortable in their, I don't know, republicanism or nationalism or whatever it is. But they very much said that we had blown it out of proportion, <laughs> that it technically wasn't against the law, that I had gone looking, me personally, had gone looking for scalps, that I was somehow taking great joy out of the fact these people were losing their jobs, which I wasn't. I don't know Phil Hogan. I don't know Seamus Wolf. 
you do the job without fear or favour. I really liked Derek Leary. He, we don't have very similar views on things, but he's a very genuine, nice man. And I felt very bad um, that it was him. And I knew I would lose a good contact when he lost his job. But you have to do the story. That's how it works. And Derek Leary is a very good and genuine person. And he texted me the next day after he resigned and said, no hard feelings. That's the job. Because that's the sort of person he is. And good politicians know that I have a job to do and they have a job to do. And my job is to hold them to account. That's a good politician. The worst politicians are the ones in all areas of their life who are out for themselves. And that comes from their, to their constituents, to journalists. How could you do that to me? The notion that I sit around with vendettas against certain politicians is the most egotistical thing I can think of. That I personally sit around and say, right, today I'm going to get Phil Hogan, tomorrow I'm going to get Dara Cleary. I really, when I leave that office, do not think about politicians until I go back in the next morning. Mm. Um, but you also need to remember that many, many people who go into politics are egomaniacs. So why wouldn't they think I was coming for them? What we literally had this conversation. We literally, today. and not literally word for word, this conversation. I said today that you can't be a sane person to say I'm going into politics. It has to be something. Not I've right there. seen all sides of it. I've seen all sides of it, right? And I do think there are certain people who go into politics for the right reasons, with good intentions, with good intentions, and the right reasons. But, but there are other people who go into politics because there's some. There is nearly the Donald Trump thing of it. Of I can fix it. Yeah. I'm smart enough, I'll sort this out. The other side of it, and there are some of these people in the doll want to be famous, they want to be well known, they think they're smarter than other people. It's a legacy thing for a lot of people. Their daddy did it, Apparently, their uncles yeah. did it, their granddad did it. Um, but there are people who go on and they are genuine and they are trying hard, but they're a lot of them, and you need to remember, in no other job in the world. Do you put a photo of your face on a lamppost and ask people to like you? And then knock on people's doors and say, if you don't like me, can I be, can you second like me? <laughs> so I think it takes a certain type of person to do that. Wouldn't be for me. Um, I think there's other ways to make better money without all the shite that comes along with it. I do have a certain amount of respect for people who can do it and do it well. But as we all know, there's not all of them are doing it well. And a lot of them are in there for themselves. Mm. And it's very obvious the journalist who's on there for themselves. I eat in the same canteen as these people. I see these people morning and at night. And I journalists can tell within the first two weeks of an election when they all go on who's in it for the right reasons and who isn't. Mm. And I think what I mean with like saying egotistical and even if you look at them, so like all these people had to resign and they don't give a bollocks, they apologise, but you're not apologising for what you're doing, you're apologising because you got caught. Mm. And you see it now lately, a lot of them are resigning mm -hmm. or they're like holding their hands up and being like, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot to register this property that yeah. I had. How did you forget that you had another house? Mm. You know what I mean? You don't give a bollocks. Yeah. Pascal Donahue was up now because he had campaign expenses mm. that he's apologising over. Mm -hmm. You don't give a fuck that you had you spent all this X, Y and Z money and it's gone to line these other people's pockets. Mm -hmm. You just give a bollocks, you got caught. Yeah. And there's other media outlets leaking it. That's all you care about. Yeah. They don't give a fuck about us. They didn't make an honest mistake. They made a deliberate mistake. Mm -hmm. It's not a mistake. It was a deliberate and I decision. Think, and I think as well that a lot of them just don't get it. We are in a housing emergency that I cannot see being fixed in the next 20 years. And then we have people in positions of power who are saying they can't remember how many properties they own. They can't even abide by the rules. Do you own a house in Ireland at the minute? 
is such a privilege, no matter how much or little of a house it is. It is a privilege to own a house or have a house. There's 11,000 of us who don't have a house. Mm. And and 4,000 Wayne's kids sleeping in hotels. And then for a politician to say, yep, yeah, sorry, forgot how many houses I had. Can you not see what that tells people? I spend my days trying to make people vote, trying to make people feel the politics has something to do with them. And then we have politicians on the public stage saying, yeah, sorry, I forgot I had a house. It completely damages the trust between politicians and people. And no matter how much you hate politics and how much you hate politicians, they're not going away. So you might as well make them better. And only through good journalism is how these people are held to account. And I know everyone, like, and I would one of them too, is that there's massive problems with the media, massive problems with the media. But without the media, I would hate to see what they thought that they could get away with. Mm. That's a that's a real fear of mine. And without local journalism, especially, it's hard. But if, I think this is probably in a round, it goes back around full circle out to Twitter. This is where you see a benefit in Twitter. Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff is coming out on that, and you mm-hmm. see a lot of smaller media outlets. Mm-hmm. That is their platform to get out there because yeah. they're not established. And you'd be like, wait, who who leaked that story about yeah, him? Yeah. Oh, was this? Yeah, true Twitter. Mm-hmm. So that's where you get the mm-hmm. information out there. So mm-hmm. that's maybe one of the benefits to it. The other issue is certain smaller media outlets um, are basically run on donations. And most legacy media, we we need to turn a profit. It's a business. Um, and then, but the issue that with that is relying on donations, especially if there's one or two or three big donors, they get to call the shots because mm. they're the backbone of this business. The exactly. Yeah. So... Um, I would worry about the plurality then. Um, but I honestly believe any at this stage, if there's anyone who wants to donate to good journalism, is this is the way it's going forward. And we see more people on Patreon and podcasts and all that and social media, not necessarily Twitter, but social media in general has democratized people's voices. You know, I don't, I don't think Irish society would have moved on as much when it comes to. LGBTQ issues, sex work, abortion, travellers' rights, if it wasn't for things like Twitter, exposing people to people they probably never would speak to before, people in direct provision, traveller people. Like I know from a, for a fact that I know more about traveller people and have traveller friends now because of social media, yeah. which I probably, it's not a community that I would have had any real dealings with before. Um, and that can only be a good thing. But as we know, the cons of social media are so, so many. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely outweigh the pros. I think so. The cons, and especially for someone in your shows, mm-hmm. I think we'd obviously <laughs> wouldn't get it that bad. So you can't see that side of it. No, I do. I see. I still see. I know exactly where you're coming from, but like it's different when it's death threats. No, I know. I know. And right? I've seen it on your page. I've seen it mm-hmm. on your Twitter. But what I mean is that there is benefits as oh, well. Of course, of course, course there is. Yeah, I mean. yeah, of course. Yeah. There is. I wanted to ask you something at the live show in November, uh-huh. but I think it was too soon for, to ask it then, and probably not the right environment. Okay. And I was raging. But then I went on to Twitter last week and I seen it popped up again. And I was like, oh, Jesus, Eva's on next week. I'll ask about that. What do you think about people getting outraged about Celtic Symphony being played? I can see both sides of it, to be honest. Um, I think, um, I'll put it this way. There's a fella, there's a man in Derry um, called Patsy Gillespie. He's from the same estate that me and my dad are from. He was, I think he's 42, married with a couple of kids. And he worked in the kitchen in the British Army barracks. He was Catholic, nationalist from Chantal, which is where we're from. And um, 
the IRA came on to his house, kidnapped him in front of his wife and children, strapped him onto his work van, chained him, chained his arms and legs under the work van, put a massive bomb into the back of the van and made him drive it to Kosh Kwan, where there was a checkpoint to the border checkpoint. He couldn't get the door open, couldn't get out of the van. Um, whatever way the bomb was um, made, when he pulled the door open, the bomb, the timer started. So Patsy started shouting out the Wanda, telling people, like, run away, saying to the soldiers, like, run away, everybody run away, there's a bomb in my van. And the bomb went off, and they had to identify Patsy from a piece of flesh that was stuck to a zip from his cardigan that they found on top of a pub. That is what the IRA does. That's that's an IRA atrocity. And I would never, ever turn around to Patsy Gillespie's children and say, you can't be offended by people shouting up, ooh, ah, up the rah. No. The other side of it is, I do not think the women's football team meant anything by it. I think there's a serious amount of ignorance about the North on all sides. But I think the outrage in the South was not for a lot of it genuine. I think there's a big class issue when it comes to this sort of stuff. Um, but the other side of it is I would be pretty offended if the Northern Ireland team were singing that they were up to their legs and up to their knees in Fenian blood. And my uncle, for instance, was shot. The Savile inquiry found that he was murdered by a fellow called Soldier F. Well, that's not his name, but we, we call Soldier F. And around marching season, people put up paratrooper flags in support that says, we support Soldier F. And that really offends me. And if there was a song about Soldier F, I wouldn't want people singing that either. So I think there needs to be some, I do think, I understand why people were annoyed at people being annoyed because I don't think a lot of the rugby dads are genuine mm. when they're saying this is awful and these girls are terrible. It's not, it's not genuine. But saying that it doesn't mean anything to anybody is also not true. So I think there needs to be a long conversation about how we deal with legacy. And I think, you know, we've all grown up in a certain time where you people say up the and they don't think about what up around means. And I think that's a big part of it. We know that. Like people, when I went to uni, people used to say, oh, like I want a fiver and scratch card up around. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and like people used to say, people say it all the time. Like my editor in the newspaper could not believe that it was a normal thing to hear up around because it's a generational thing. You know, there's a cognitive dissonance between people who grew up in the troubles and people who didn't. So you go up the flats. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean the same thing as it used to mean. When rugby dads and middle class Dublin people are complaining about people saying up the rah, I don't give that much credence. But when victims of IRA atrocities complain about it, that's the people I want to listen to. So I think that's the only way. Listen to people it actually affects. Mm. Don't be listening to people you just want to shite on about soccer players. Yeah. I don't mind enough, like, if you want to have, like, people in football circles want to be offended by it, no problem. Mm. As long as you're not going around on England matches singing rule Britannia, Britannia yeah. rule the world. Mm -hmm. You have to look around both sides there. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Yeah. As long as Well, I think the it. only way to, the best description of it is Leinster Rugby played the Celtic Symphony last week at a, rugby, caught it. at a rugby match. They had to cut it. And they caught it. There's very little said about that. But it was, when it's a whole lot of working class girls playing soccer, 
Then all the rugby dads are up in arms about that's it. That's as well, because Neil told me about that. I hadn't seen that. Mm. I heard about it. Mm. And then some. They were going around saying, oh, we made sure it was caught in this stand. You're like, all right, you're a hero now. I did see a thing about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was outrage. Mm. It played in the RDS, and I think it got to the chorus. And yeah. Cut, so no, the, apparently the, the chorus was played. Oh, but there was very little said about it after. Yeah, so... Somebody acted like a hero and was like, look, I got it stopped. And you're like, all right, you're fucking dead. You are, aren't you? Like, you, you got a song stopped yeah. halfway through. You the CD think. player, man. Yeah. <laughs> DJ, yeah, DJ hero. Yeah. Um, I think what you're saying about legacy is something that people don't really look into when we're looking for United Ireland. Mm. Is that you're not just you removing a border and then like we're a nation once again. Mm. We are going to inherit a lot. A million, a million a unionists. A lot of unionists, exactly. Mm. And you're going to have to compromise mm -hmm. and it, like you're going to have to put in some sort of like yep. fulfillment you, for them you know what the issue is see in the north we're very used to compromising see down here Why not? yous aren't no yous don't want to compromise yous expect us to compromise yeah. but yous don't want to compromise yeah. plenty of people want to united Ireland in the south but they don't want to pay for it and they don't want to change anything that's not how it works that's not how we got the good Friday agreement I won't be lectured by southerners about what I need to do for united Ireland I don't have to do anything I come from a family directly affected by paramilitary or by violence, British state violence. There's all our families who've been directly affected by paramilitary violence, and we've learned to love beside one another. I'm not taking lectures from people in the south about what I need to do for United Ireland. It's people in the south that need to educate themselves about the north, mm. and they need to accept that Arlene Foster and Geoffrey Donaldson are as Irish as used to are, and the biggest she is for a lot of northern, especially nationalists. We grew up. Irish. I spoke Irish at school. I did Irish dancing. I played GAA. And then I come down here and I'm told by people that I'm not really Irish. I would argue that Northern nationalists are more in touch with our culture because we have to fight for it. We had to fight for our identity. You used to get, up to get to get up every single morning and just be Irish. We have to prove it. And unionists, whether they consider themselves British or Irish or both or neither, are also Irish. We're all on the one island here. And I think I am so sick of hearing about what Northerners have to do for United Ireland when it's you having a clue about the troubles, having a clue what the North is like. And a lot of people just like pride themselves on the fact that they've never been to the North, as if it makes them in any way interesting or eccentric. I think it makes you sound like the most fucking boring person on earth. You haven't tra travelled 90 miles away from your house. So I do think there will be United Ireland, but I think a lot of people's noses are going to be out of joint in the South as well as in the north. Definitely, it's something that I don't think we address enough. It's just, you think, oh, look, at you can have the same passport as us. Everyone's going to have the same passport. I meet people who are the same age as me, at 31 years of age, who think the trouble started in the north because Catholics and Protestants hated each other. No. And that's so common. It's a lot deeper than that. Mm. But uh, this is what I'm saying, you're going to have to inherit all the unionists and that's mm -hmm. their culture, that's their legacy, yep. it's what they stand for and you're mm -hmm. going to have to compromise with that and get on with it. Mm -hmm. And it might even, I've heard conversations saying that we might even need to have a new flag, if mm -hmm. have a new nation basically. Yep. But I think that's a bit mad because like the flag as it is now sounds perfect for what that is, like it's Catholic yeah. presidents and the peace between the two of them, yeah, is that exactly. not what we're looking for? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But there's loads of conversations that, and like I'm not overly interested in the cultural conversations about the flag and the anthem, I'm more worried about the NHS. Yeah, no definitely. I don't want yeah. to be part of the HSE, no harm deeds. Yeah. I don't have a 60 year old sitting in a trolley. So the civil service in the north as well employs thousands of people. What's going to happen to them? Yeah, it's going to be a serious... So there needs uh, to be serious work done and it's not enough for Sinn Féin to say we need to have a unity on our border or we have a unity pool or a border pool. There needs to be work done. There needs to be a white paper. There needs to be academic research on how this is going to work. 
Scotland had a 900 page white paper and they still lost. So <laughs> there needs though. to be a lot more preparation <laughs> yeah. done. And I don't really give a shit about, sorry, I don't really give a shit about flags and anthems. I'm more worried about the people who are living in poverty now. What's their life going to be? Is this going to make people's lives better? Because the most Republican person in the world isn't going to vote to make their life worse. Yeah. Don't think Eileen Foster's going to be happy saying that she's as Irish as anyone in this room, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, but she's also, like, I'm not British, but if she says she's British, she's British. Yeah. Yeah. But she is, like, yeah. this is the thing about identity. I am Irish. I don't consider myself Northern Irish, but there's people in my family who do consider themselves Northern Irish. It's just not someone I identify with. But there's also Arlene Foster, who, or Jeffrey Donaldson, whoever else, they believe that they're not Irish at all, or Northern Irish, they're British. And that's grand. This is how every country in the every country in the world has been either invaded by someone or invaded someone else and cultures come and go. That's how it works. But yeah, I think there needs to be a long conversation. It's not a conversation that needs to be had in the north. It's a conversation that needs to be had in the south about how you treat your northern neighbours. Completely agree with you. And what you are going to do to educate yourselves before this happens. I completely agree with you. Someone, I remember I listened to a podcast about this before and somebody said how they treated apartheid and got rid of it in South Africa. It's an approach the that model. we need to take for this because yeah. you're not just you're not just like this is what we think. We need to know mm-hmm. what you think as well. Yeah, and they're what will be considered an enemy mm-hmm. in some in people's cases. So mm-hmm. you're gonna have to compromise there. Right, Eva, you've wrote about seventeen books. Oh, you've been writing the one book for so long that <laughs> it, it seems like seventeen books. Long, yeah. So do you want to tell us a bit about that before we wrap up? Because I um I'm writing a book um about the history of modern Sinn Fein. So it starts uh, at the hunger strike. Um, so Sinn Fein has been in and about in different iterations since 1905. But the Sinn Féin that we know now came from the hunger strike, the election of Bobby Sands and Kieran Doherty and everyone else. Um, that was their first real taste of campaigning during the Troubles, campaigning and politics and a real political identity um, that wasn't, you know, created in the before the rising and after. So it's about how they became the most popular party north and south. And uh, I have hated it every minute of it. I will never write another book again. I fully drove myself mad and gave myself burnout in March. Um, and somebody told me it's like writing a book's like having a baby. And the way that when the baby comes, you forget about all the pain. But you're just so happy that the baby's here. And I just thought, nah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> so... You can highly me do this, but I don't think I'll ever write a book again. But it comes out in like October. So I'm on the editing. I've handed in the first draft before Christmas. Editing it now and it comes out around October. And you two better buy it. Of course we will. I'm going to promote it. Better buy it. Anyone who's ever promoted a book on this podcast has sent us a copy. <laughs> I only get 10 free copies, so you have to one between. So there you go. So <laughs> they sort out who you're then. Sort out who you're giving the right then. Yeah, <laughs> Or um, what else have you got? Have you got anything else going on, Eva? I don't know if I'm plug. allowed to talk about this, but I'm making a documentary. All right, look. Did you sign an NDA or something? No, I just, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it yet. But yeah, I am. I'll not tell you what it's about, but I am in the process of making a documentary. Right. For RT. <coughs> I'm intrigued. Mm. I'll tell you about it after. Lovely. Yeah, have you anything else going on now? Do you not think I have enough going on? Is a TV I show? Too, I, I do think you have too much going on, but I'm just... Well, give me a to, platform if you want to plug it. Like, like, I, I, I don't need you plug in. I think I'm grand. Buy, this, yeah. buy, buy the Sunday Times. It's still on TV. <laughs> <laughs> right. Eva, thanks very much for coming no on. No worries. Thank um, you so much for having me. It's one thing I've said since you come on the live show. 
I don't think anyone has come on to one of our live shows with so much pressure. Mm. Number one, you had to follow Roddy, Roddy Collins. Collins. I know, fucking and laugh him on it. Right. <laughs> Number two, I had to introduce who you are, and I said political journalist, and I could feel the wind oh in God. the crowd. Yeah. Oh and God. I remember thinking bollocks. And I was just because you owe me a one-er as well. I said to Terence, I was like, this is going to be a nightmare. They're not going to know who I am. They're not going to hear when I hear it. I have to say they're here for a bit of crack. And now I am going to be shouting on about golf gate and voting. But it was great. I don't and know. I don't think anyone has got more of an ovation than you did when oh, thank you, you finished up with the women out. I have to say the audience were class. They were they were so engaged. They were mm -hmm. But I think you took it. Like I've never seen someone with so much pressure on the shoulders smash it and blow it out of the park the way you did. Mm -hmm. And like we've had some brilliant moments in our live shows. We had some brilliant guests. Mm -hmm. Every guest has been deadly in my opinion. But I remember thinking, fuck, she fucking <laughs> smashed that. <laughs> And everyone said it. Everyone and said it. Jazz McLean Poppy just... thing is the one that done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that was you had that up your sleeve and all. Look at yeah, yeah, that old one. Yeah, that's Saturday night in the golf party. I've been last time we were there. Eva, thanks very much for coming in to Thank talk you. to us. Thank really you. appreciate it. Four show recording of the year, Terry. Yeah. Back Happy in business. Year. Yeah. Happy New Year. It's like the 14th or something. Or the it was, 16th it of was, January. It was good at Terence. You know, you take time out of his busy cycle and schedule. The uh... busiest man in the country. He's <laughs> now that. Came out of these lycras. Wrap a fucking up. The bounce. <laughs> 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 take us out there, King. Boom. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. The hip knocker.